When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. In a tiny apartment in Southern California, two college dropouts teamed up to start a watch brand that broke all the rules. With clean, innovative designs, unexpected colors, and unbeatable value, Movement became the fastest-growing watch brand in the world. Every bold, modern design is dreamed up at Movement's California headquarters. And now, everything is on sale for their ninth birthday celebration. You can save big with 25% discounts on watches, jewelry, sunnies, blue-light eyewear, and more lifestyle essentials. And for the first time this year, Movement's best-selling, innovatively-made ceramic watches are on sale, too. Elevate your own look or give someone an amazing gift that won't break the bank. But looks like it did. There's never been a better time to join the Movement. Get the best prices of the year with Movement's site-wide 25% off anniversary sale and enjoy free shipping, free returns, and a two-year guarantee on everything they make. Just go to MVMT.com. That's MVMT.com. Welcome to another Brew of Blue here on the Blue Room. And I'm delighted to say, very special guest now, I am delighted to say, I've got Mick Baz Rathbone on, uh, former footballer, former manager, and Evertonian is, of course, known for his time at the football club as a physio, working under David Moyes, and currently at the football club, working as a physio as well. Uh, Mick, uh, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Great. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. As I remarked before, I do notice 10 weeks on, we're getting down the, uh, the pecking order now, aren't we? <laughs> We've had kind of class of 84, class of 85. We've had a few words from the David Moises of this world. And now sort of 11 weeks on, we're down to like assistant under 23 physio now. <laughs> <laughs> if anything else tells you how long this process has been going on, the fact I'm sat here now will tell you. I just want to do a bit of a disclaimer there to anyone who's, who's watching or listening to this, because... I messaged you probably in January. I said it'd be great to get you on for an interview for a chat, but obviously the footy was going on then, so you couldn't do it. So I, I was there first. Well, I, 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 I wanted to speak to you. What, what was no, that no, I'm saying that seems so long ago to uh-huh. even talk about football being on and playing and stuff. Unbelievable, yeah. mate. Yeah, and I, I suppose for yourself, it must be something you, you miss. Massively, because I, I can't imagine, you know, I think, I think pre-season's probably different, but I can't imagine there's a time in your life where you've had 
so much time, certainly this time of year where you've not been involved in football or just in, in that atmosphere every day. It's unbelievable. So, you know, we had the mini derby on the, on the Sunday and I'm driving in on the Friday. OK, it's not first team and that, but it's still important to us in the 23s and it's important sure. to the club as well. And then you get the message turn around and that. And on my mind, I'm thinking, got a couple of lads need fitness tests and uh, we're having a transitional series in, season in the 23s and it'd be nice just to win that game, just to finish off. And it's kind of middle of March now. We've been going sort of strong since mid-June. Yeah. So there's a kind of fatigue building. We're all ready for a little bit of a break. But obviously nobody anticipated that simple text. I just picked up my phone. I was literally turning to Finch Farm. Uh, please turn away everybody now. And kind of that was it. 11 weeks, I think, tomorrow. Yeah. Might be 12 weeks tomorrow. It's, it's remarkable, isn't it? It's absolutely remarkable. And I, I suppose in, in some you know respects... It reminds me back to when I first started playing in the 70s because you had a much longer close-season break. The season started sort of last week in August. So you had that kind of 10, 11 weeks off. That modern football is you may get five or six. So in a funny kind of way, it reminds me of that because you've gone through the, I needed a break, recover a little bit. You're now in that phase of absolutely missing it and stuff. Yeah. And I've even been going, like, going down the park. Look, I'm 61, mate, but I go down the park and even take the ball down and have a little kick about myself, you know, to keep myself fit for the return. Yeah. And I suppose in, this is going to sort of just think about it there and speak to different people involved in football. But this is probably going to change your job forever, twofold, isn't it, in regards to, to when things get back to normal? Because Certainly, when you get when you get back at Finch Farm, there's going to be social distancing, and you're not going to be able to work with the players on the conditioning, and you know do do massages and that sort of thing. In that sense, and I also suppose that when these players go back, they're going to have such a long break that you're going to have to do different work with them. You're going to get different injuries. You're going to have to do different conditioning. So it's going to be a massive challenge for for the medical team, isn't it? You you know what? I mean, I'm still optimistic that we can get through it and get over it more, and we will return more to normal, but but maybe not. But obviously, my, I do all the outside running with a player, so I do the outside rehab. Um, Joe Hinnigan, he tends to do the, the, the inside stuff and the, 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 the outstanding gym work he does with the players and that. So every morning we spend probably the first hour doing the soft tissue stuff. Mm. So as you rightly say, that may not happen anytime soon. So that's a big part of your day. You go in, get there for about quarter past nine, go and see Unzi, go and have a piece of toast, and then bang, Nine till ten in the medical room. Yeah, fluffing them. We fluffing them. I might say. Some <laughs> people might say crucial soft tissue preparation for training. I might say fluffing them. But we have a great time in there, and we build that kind of atmosphere for the day. We have a good laugh, and everybody kind of comes in and sits around. And Joe and myself, we do all the soft tissue stuff and that. But I guess in the short term, that may may not be there now. In terms of Joe's job in the gym, can he do it and stay within a social distance? Yes, he probably can. Mm. Uh, I've stayed so fit, I'm always two metres ahead of the players in the run anyway. <laughs> that won't make any difference at all, will it? Like, you know? yes. So it, it, it's just kind of unknown territory, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to change things for everyone. And I mean, in regards to the football club, you know, before we hit record there, you said that obviously because the, the 23 season stopped, you've not really been doing much remotely in terms of conditioning and exercises at home. I mean, is that the same for, for the first team? I mean, it won't be the same for the first team, lads, but have you got any idea what sort of stuff they've been doing? Have they been doing Zoom calls? Have they been sort of left to, to well, their devices? 
from the 23's point of view, um, Jason, the, the uh, sports scientist and the, and the senior staff, have been right on it all along because mm. we didn't know if and when we were going back. So they've had a programme every week. We've had Zoom calls. We've kind of kept in touch. We've got a couple of lads with knocks and stuff. Uh, we, so we've kept in touch with them. Joe Hinnigan does a sort of Zoom with a long-term injured on a Monday morning. So in as much as we, we, we weren't really sure when we were going back, we have kept on top of it more than you ever would probably in closed season. Mm. And I know the first team even more so because I think we probably all suspected the 23s would go and be finished. But we all kind of hoped and suspected that the first team would eventually pick up again. So in terms of the first team, they've done it even better, let's say. you know we, We've kept them kind of on the rails, our lads and that, but the first team have really been meticulous. You know, I spoke to Danny Donnick a couple of times and they've done a fan, you know, that, that support staff have done a fantastic job. They've been on it, you know, all, all along, giving the programmes out to make sure everybody's okay. So I would say all the clubs have been the same. So hopefully, I, I know the lads are backing out Finch Farm, aren't they? Hopefully they will be able to pick up pretty soon. Mm-hmm. As you say, it, it's been a long time since players play football. So it, it's, it's, it's strange because you've got this kind of juxtaposition because they've been out so long, we therefore need to get them back quicker to get it played quicker. But that doesn't really work if they've not kicked a ball in anger. And yeah, you can go down to the, the, the park and do some strides and a bit of ball work. But you can't really recreate that kind of match situation. So I know there is a, a, a little bit of a fear in the medical world that we're going to have this kind of 12 weeks of doing kind of safe running stuff yep. and then suddenly thrown into a very short space of getting up to speed like you know so there is a concern about that but you know there are exceptional times Matt and needs must and I, I know the guys at Finch Farm I know that that senior medical staff will be prepared as, as well as any other Premier League team mm. I trained Danny myself many years ago so <laughs> it'll be fine <laughs> learn from the best in that sense mate yeah absolutely <laughs> and, I mean I'm just, just going to say I mean looking at Dominic Armelou and Instagram videos he certainly seems to be in, in good nick still so hopefully the, the, the rest of the lads are, are doing the same in, in, in that regard yeah look mate the, the days are coming back in the mid 70s when I was at Birmingham an apprentice and the day one everybody used to get weighed and I kid you not because we've been off for like nine, ten weeks some of the senior players were fat yeah. I'm not talking about a kilogram. I'm not talking about 1% body weight, body fat. I'm talking about fat guys come to the training ground. And that kind of, that's when it all, it was in sort of five or six weeks of cross-country running just to get the weight off some of these boys. So them days have gone. Mm. So even in a normal, conventional close season, the lads come back on day one. And you'd be surprised if anybody's even put a kilogram on. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 good. All the fun's gone out of it. I, I bet nobody <laughs> even goes to Magaluf anymore. <laughs> if I went to Mag- if I went to Magaluf now in May, I bet you wouldn't see a Premier League player anymore. <laughs> well, you, you you detail all that in your book. We, we used to see those Everton lads. Howard Kendall left Blackburn in 1979. Yeah. I kid you not. We're we're on the bus going from Ewood Park to Magaluf. He comes on the front of the bus. He said, "Look," he said, "Sorry, guys, I'm going to Everton." We, were, we knew it, we accepted yeah. it. He had two amazing years. He was the best. He was incredible. So he literally waved us away. The day later, he turned up with the Everton lads in Magaluf. So we're all sat around <laughs> on the beach anyway. But the Bet point is, those, those, those days are gone, mate. But you were going to do the intake you lads, weren't you? Instead? <laughs> what, to Everton or Magaluf? Both, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> 
But one, 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 well, just, sorry, mate, just one thing I do want to speak about, you speak about all that brilliantly in your book. And I'm, I'm not just saying this because you're on, but when we've had people ask questions in the past on the Blue Room, ask us for our favourite football books, the one I always say is the smell of football by yourself. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. And the stuff you speak about in regards to that, that, that kind of thing, in regards to the players coming back overweight, what it was really like to be a footballer starting out in those days is, is absolutely fantastic. And I've just seen today that you're saying there's, there's a second one coming out soon, isn't there? Yeah, I've actually written the second one. Yeah. It's finished. It's about the last 10 years. Uh, I think it's good. I think it's as good, if not better. If the theme of the first one was kind of that lack of confidence stuff that I overcame bravely, then the theme of the second one is very much about growing old in the modern game and probably feeling a little bit distanced from it, you know, uh, and that always kind of looking in the mirror and thinking, how long can this journey go on? So it's got a slightly different theme, but it's really good. Yeah, I'm really pleased with it. And going back to, to the first one, I think you probably get asked about this all the time in regards to your first interactions with Trevor Francis, who is, you know, your boyhood hero. You're in the Birmingham youth team. You start training with the senior lads and you sort of go to pieces around them a little bit. And it's it's such a, it's so well explained. It's so candid. that you don't really hear footballers talking about that sort of thing very often. Do you sort, do you sort of look back at that and think, if you came into the game now, with the support mechanism, me- mechanisms and the way the game is and, you know, the way players are treated and looked after, things would be a little bit different for you? I absolutely do, Matt. I think I, think I probably would have played for England many, many times, of course. <laughs> yeah. But it's a funny thing, Matt, because we have this great hour in the medical room in the morning, mm. me, Joe, the, the doc, and, and the, most of the players come in, some for treatment, some just to sit around and we have, we have a fabulous atmosphere in there and we have banter, don't we, and have a laugh and a joke and stuff and that like, you know, and some of it's probably a little bit near the knuckle and sometimes I think to myself, is that not just what was happening to me sort of 40 years on? Mm. Is it harmless? Are you just being too sensitive? And sometimes I, I maybe check myself and think, oh, I don't say that because you've just complained about people saying that to you many, many yeah. years ago. But you are right, mate. It's changed a hell of a lot. We, we're seeing a lot now about uh, the, the awareness of mental health and, and the pressure and the responsibility. And I've been watching a lot of Netflix at the moment and stuff and the, 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 the kind of last chance you and the yeah. quarterback school and that. And I see those young kids and I see the pressure on them, especially as a quarterback who's kind of manager, star player, captain, all rolled into one at 17 years of age and that. Like, you know, I see all that responsibility. And, I, and I, I see it at all the academies and all the young players and that. And I look at them lads and, they, they, yeah, they get a lot more money, of course they do, but I think the pressure's a lot more, a hell of a lot more nowadays. There's more people watching. I, I tell like, you know, so I go and play for Preston in 1987 down at Southend on a Friday night. They used to play. So I didn't play very well and we didn't play very well and we got beat 1-0. And as we trudged off, there was probably 50 Preston fans saying, you're SHIT and that like, you know. Mm. By the time we got on the bus, um, into the cans, I guess, by the time we got on the bus, that game was essentially over. Yeah. The following night, there was probably a 50-word report on it. There was no footage of the game. There was no, nobody knew how far I ran. Nobody would find out that my pass completion was probably 30% or that I missed five tackles. I didn't put my phone on and go onto social media and people saying, he's rubbish, he's got to go. Did you see that pass? Did you see that? Look at this. I didn't turn the telly on the next day and see my mistake 15 times. 
my lad plays for uh, Rochdale, yeah. and uh, last season, last season they played at um, Sunderland, which was a big game for them. And me and my wife drove up there, interestingly, through Barnard Castle. By the way, I can confirm it's a beautiful place. Yeah. We drove and went to the game, and uh, big crowd, 30,000. On Sunderland won 4 1, bit tough on Rochdale, but my leg gave a penalty away, not on purpose. Mm. But he was probably, what, 20, 21 then. But for the next two or three days, every hour, you see that kind of rash challenge. And it's a penalty. And you see him with his head in his hands. And he has to kind of live through that. And that, with the great respect to Rochdale, that's not Everton Football Club. Mm. And yeah. the, it's really interesting. When I was at Forest a couple of years ago, the, the lads are always on social media. And I was doing some soft tissue work on... A player and as I was doing the soft tissue the player was led face down and the player was only 22 21 just getting the first team mm. and as I was working on him uh, probably to save himself from chatting to me he was on his phone looking through the face panel and I took his phone and he was reading social media and all it was was pure criticism of him and his performances and I took his phone off him and I said son if you keep reading that you will never make the grades of footballer and I took his phone and I took it out of the room. And we know you shouldn't watch it. Yeah. And we know you shouldn't be affected by it. But it's very difficult not to. Mm. And you know what you do sometimes? Say, if I use my lad as an example. So if my lad plays for Rochdale and plays great, scores a goal, you tend to go on it. And people are saying, brilliant, 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 brilliant. And then if maybe he doesn't play so well, you, you, you maybe wouldn't go on it, or if you did go on it, somebody said, didn't want to know, rubbish today. It quite, quite kind of shocks you. Mm. But I would say to the players, if you don't want A, don't have B. Either yeah. go on it or don't. Yeah. But as I'll say to you, Matt, there's so much pressure on the players nowadays. And I think like the money's made a big difference too. The money's great and it's a short career and they're entertainers. I get all that. They're entertaining. 70,000 in the stadium and untold millions. So there's not an issue with that. But that brings its own pressure as well. Because when I was playing and you were coming to make the grade and that, if you didn't make it or got a bad injury, then you would lose a certain amount of money. Yeah. But not millions and millions of pounds. The difference between making it and not making it was a relatively small amount of financial reward. Okay, you've got the, the joy of being a professional footballer. But in terms of the actual financial implications... But I see kids coming through the academy and the one who gets the yes, the Anthony Gordons, the, you know, the, and he's an outstanding player, by the way. The, the Anthony Gordons get the tick and going out the other door is a player who just wasn't quite as good. Mm. He gave as much, but he wasn't quite as good. So while the Anthony Gordons go on to that fabulous, rarefied level and all the things that come with it, yeah. the other lads going, I, I guess, down to National League or National League North or... I don't know where, uh, and maybe down to the uh, the, the job centre. Mm. And with the 23s, with Mike Dickinson, who's like the education officer, we, we have loads of talks with the players, and, uh, and we sit in our way, sit in the meetings, and we try and prepare that vast majority of players for that day. Because for every well, Anthony That mental health side is becoming more and more part of your job. Massive, yeah. it, it's the absolute big thing so for every Anthony there's nine non-Anthony's mm. who are going out the other door and you know the funny thing about it we have loads of meetings and Mike Dickinson does brilliant and we have ex-players coming in and telling their story of 
going out the other door, you know, yeah. being in maybe in England Youth International at 16, at 17, pro contract at 18, first team at 18 and a half, and then that gradual decline and all the catharsis that comes with it. Um, we, we, we get people in, guest speakers. Uh, um, Mike Dickinson does a fantastic job, and we all help with that kind of mentoring side, that pastoral care for the young lads and that like, you know. But you look in their eyes, and they all believe it's going to be them. Yeah. And yeah. I suppose that's probably a, one of the main ingredients that you probably need to get there in the first place. So it's quite kind of a strange dynamic. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And I think it's, you know, we've seen Michael Keane speaking about it over the weekend with, in an interview with BBC Sport, didn't we, about how it's, it's something that's affected him. He, he yeah. candidly said yeah. that, you know, in his time at Everton, he's, he's shed tears because of, he's been, been criticised. Yeah. You know, he didn't want to show his face and, yeah. his and that side of, type of stuff. So it's great that the club is sort of so in sync and, and you get the sense with the players as well it's something that it's, they're talking about more in regards to mental health and being aware of the mental health yeah yeah and that's not just for football I think it's for people in general yeah. you know there, there's much more pressure you know it's just happened over the last 30 years you know when I was a kid born in the 50s dad worked at the factory mom didn't work uh, me brother sister uh, younger sister the four of us you had a, a, a humble unmaterialistic life as did everybody else in your little street yeah. you know no car no color telly and you all lived happily ever after the same so that kind of that race to the top and the financial rewards and the holidays abroad and all the stuff and things that couldn't exist because people didn't earn the same money so everybody went in the two factory weeks to Barmouth in their courtine and breaking down on the big hill on the way there like you know so everybody lived the same life so you didn't have this extra ex, 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 extrinsic pressure of, you know, the, the neighbours got their new SUV, so we better get one. And yeah. I like that watch. I want that watch. There wasn't that. And rightly or wrongly, that has created a lot of pressure yeah. amongst young people to succeed, or inverted commas, to be seen to succeed. Yeah. And we all know, Matt, don't we? Success is being happy. Yeah, of course, mate. Of course, absolutely. Um, and just Willie famously said to me, as Willie Donnelly, Willie Donnelly famously said to me on a walk of discovery in the Caribbean about six weeks ago, he turned to me and he said, "Who's happier? Who has the most, or who needs the least?" Yeah, it's a great way of putting it. It's a great. That was some walk. That was some walk. <laughs> it sounds it. Yeah, it absolutely yeah. sounds it. Hey, my guru. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but before I just to sort of bring this to an end, I want to speak about your, your time working at, at Everton, the first time under David Moyes. And I was scanning back through your book earlier and, you know, doing a bit of research. And it was quite a bit of a transfer saga to get you to Everton, wasn't it, in the first place? You had to do a bit of, a bit of wrangling with Preston to get you there. You know what, Matt? I was worth more as a physio than I was as a player. So I don't know if I was just a bad player or a good physio. I don't know what it was, mate. Yeah, yeah. It was ever so flattering um, that David came and he said, as, as he left that day, so I'm coming back for you. Yeah. Ooh, that's a threat. <laughs> so that, that, he got there for the last four or five games and that kind of fizzled out. Bungie scored the goal, didn't he? And he stayed up on that. Yeah. And then the next summer, the phone call started. <laughs> it sounds sinister. And um, <laughs> he, he wanted to go. And yeah, fair enough. But obviously, I had a, um, a strong con contract at Preston, who I played for them. I had seven great years there as a physio. So I just said to the Everton, yeah, I, I will come, but it's got to be done right. And 
obviously Preston wanted a, a compensation fee and Everton were loath to pay for a physio like you know but uh, it, it all come good in the end yeah and that was it but you know what I, I tell this story in the book don't I I was a bit nervous because I'd made my way out through the ranks I'd started at Halifax and then Preston in the bottom division Preston in the bottom but one division Preston in the championship and now I've got the chance to go to the big stage and um all the Preston players were saying, oh, don't go, Bass, don't go, you won't like it. We've heard the Premier League players were impossible to deal with. And we've heard Big Donk is just a nightmare. He <laughs> hates physios. <laughs> so, on my first day, Matt, I, I drove there and I was really nervous. But obviously, you have to do what you think's right. I drove into, I'd been to Belfield before as a player years ago and as a physio with Preston for a practice match and that. But now I'm working there. And I drove in on my very, very first morning and I was really, really nervous. It's got, I got a hyperventilator and I just sat in my car for a few minutes to gather myself. It was a really warm day. All them thoughts, what the players at Preston were saying about what it was going to be like. My particular style of quite hard work in physio, lots of running, which is kind of a new concept in that light, you know. Anyway, I got out of the car and I walked across the car park. And on that day, I had uh, some denims on and... Uh, I, it was, quite, it was a nice outfit, it sounds bad, but I had some denims on, a yellow check shirt and a denim jacket. Yes. And I went to the door of Belfield, God, it's not even there now. And I thought, well, here we go, breathing. And I walked through the door and I stood in the foyer. And I then heard this booming voice in a Scottish accent. It went, effing hell, lads, have you seen the new physio? It's Bob the effing builder. And then the door <laughs> opens. The door opens and the man himself Big Dunk. And you know how Big Dunk don't walk, does he? He no. swaggers. Yeah. And Big Dunk comes down the corridor at Belfield up to me and he puts his face in my face and he says to me, he goes, I'm Big Dunk. I've finished a few players' careers. Sorry. I'm Big Dunk. I've finished a few physios' careers. I said, well, I'm Baz. I've finished a few players' careers. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. And that was my first introduction to did him. That, did that settle you down in a way a little bit? It did, and then and and then um, he, he walked away, and then Kevin Campbell came out. He was kind of club captain, I think, at the time. And then Kev came up to me and went, oh, "I'm Kev Campbell. Heard a lot about you. Pleased to meet you, and um, everyone's looking forward to working with you." And that was it. I was in, and the ice was broken, and that was it. Yeah. But in, in, in a funny kind of way, that first sort of sort of encounter with Big Duncan. The funny thing about it is. We still talk about that. Now I see him every day, obviously, at Finch Farm, and uh, he'll say, oh, your gear's getting better anyway, like, you know. And we still talk about that day. We still talk about that day. Amazing. Amazing. And what was David like to work with? On, I mean, obviously, you probably know as well as anyone in football, but what was he like to be working with on a, on a day-to-day basis? Because, you know, especially in those early days, he came across as, as a really intense fella, someone, you know, even in his press conferences, he'd be on it all the time. I mean, was he, was he like that? Did he ever switch off? He was unbelievable. He, he was fantastic. Uh, I, I hope he gets the opportunity to, to uh, an extended spell somewhere to show how good he is. You know, he, 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 for me, he's fantastic. I say when I first went to Preston, they were in the bottom division. Davey was a player in the team. So me and Dave had that kind of mate relationship almost. League two in them days, with League three probably it was called the bottom division. I'm the physio. There's hardly any staff. Gary Peters is the manager. Dave's player coach. So me and Dave, uh, I mean, we're friends now, but we're, we're mates in those days, like we're out for a few drinks and stuff. Um, 
a real student of football, determined, straight, very, very nice fella. All, all the good things I would say about him. Took over when Gary Peters just faltered. We, we got promotion the first year, then he kind of faltered a little bit and then Dave took over. But for sure, destined for the top. Intense, um, determined, but you know, really straight. Players loved playing for him because they knew that was their best chance of success under Dave. Yeah, uh, and always going to go to the Premier League. End of story. And then when, when he, it was really funny because there was a couple of months before I joined him, and he went to um, Everton, and the physio there, who was a good friend of mine, he phoned me up and he said, "Baz, just mark my card. What's he like? He's all right. Your guys, and he's okay, and that." I said, yeah, I said, but make sure you've done your homework when you're going in the morning. Don't go through that door at nine o'clock, half cocked with half the information and be prepared to argue every point. So if you say, look, I'm keeping him out for a couple of days, then he's going to go for his scan. He will say, why not scan him now? Yeah. You know, there will always be a question. So make sure you have the answer for that. If you go in half cocked and unprepared, he'll eat you alive. But though they were only the standards he expected of himself as well, yeah. you know. So they, they were great times. I'll, I'll say once I got through that corridor and got my kit on, we had light blue training kit in them days. It was that uh, kedgy on on the front. Yeah, it was yeah. Puma. And I'll never forget it. I'm at Everton. Oh my god! I, honest, Matt, it was. I could, I could honestly hardly breathe when I, when I, when I was walking around the place on the first <laughs> couple of days. And then when everybody had gone home, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. And we had a little kind of little gym at Belfield. And I thought, I'll just do some running on the running machine on my own. And I remember everybody had gone. And I remember in that little tiny gym, there's big mirrors. And I, was, I used to do a 10K every afternoon mm. all the time, just for general long distance running. Yeah. And I remember being on that right close to the mirror, looking in it. And as I was running my 10K, I, I remember looking at my light blue top with bits of brown on in them days they were. Kedgy art, humour and that. And it had MR on my top. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and I'm telling you, I couldn't believe that I was essentially head of the medical department at Everton. Yeah. It was almost... It was just a sense of pride. You know, it was a of pride. Pride. Uh, I don't want to say disbelief. I'm doing myself out of it. But pride, marvel, humility. Yeah. Just to... I couldn't take my eyes off the, the, the badge, my initials on that badge at Everson Football Club. And I'll never forget that first run on that machine in that light blue training kit in them days with the little brown flashes on it was. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget that thinking, my God, I'm at Everson Football Club. Amazing. Unbelievable. Amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic. And the players were just the same, Matt. Matt, the players were just the same. Yeah. They were just like the players in League Two, but just better with yeah. nicer cars. They weren't any different. They all got nervous they all wanted to do well they all wanted to enjoy themselves they didn't want to be you know they, they were just human beings they, they were just the same kids from the same council estate but just better at football was, was that a, was that a challenge for you though in the sense because I think you speak about this in the book as well in regards to Duncan having surgery at one point don't you in in, in that point um where you sort of obviously you know you're moving into a different environment and you're making these medical decisions, but the, the consequences are potentially more high profile and more costly in terms of how much they actually cost of player values and that sort of stuff. I mean, was that a challenge for you to get over when making a decision on this player who is Everton's star striker and, you know, a bit of a barely character might need surgery and you've got to go one way or the other? 
Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be a much bigger issue. Yeah. But then when I got to Everton, I thought to myself, you can't be like that. You can't treat a, a, a five million pound player in them days. You can't treat a five million player thigh strain different to a free transfer player thigh strain. Yeah. The thigh strain is the thigh strain. You can't keep Wazza out with his thigh strain for 14 weeks in case he breaks down when the guy at Halifax turns out for 10 days and playing yeah. with his strapping on. So you've got to do the jobs to job. But I was really lucky because for the first time you work in a medical team. So I was always on my own. And then I went to Preston. Uh, so I went to Everton. I had my own team. So there was Doc Irving and there was Matt Connery, Danny who's still there, and Jimmy Comer, the Masseur, who's still there. So it was great to have that support. So it wasn't really on me. So the doc was part-time anyway. So it was me, Matt and Danny, really. So we, we worked as a perfect democracy. So if I said, look, you know what, I'm, I'm going to push him today. If they both said, I wouldn't do that, then I wouldn't have done it. So we had that kind of, yeah, the responsibility was on me, but it was defected a little bit like by that. The funny thing, though, Matt, because I used to clip all the nails, do all the massages, played in most of the resi games back at Preston, <laughs> uh, did all the massages, because I did everything. It was yeah. really hard to let go. Yeah. And it was really funny when I went to Everton and like Jimmy Comer was massaging one of the players. I thought, oh, get off. That's my job. <laughs> well, it wasn't my job. It's a different yeah. thing now, Matt. Jimmy's job is to massage the players. Like, you know. And I, I must say, I found that really difficult at first to let go of that. Mm. And then the Coropolis were coming to do the nails. But I used to do the nails at Preston. I used to pare them down and trim them and that. So it was really weird letting go of that kind of one-man band thing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about just before we, we wrap up as well, you mentioned him there very briefly, uh, Wayne Rooney, and you sort of said about Anthony Gordon coming through and how you know, you're excited about him and what he can go on to potentially achieve. And there is a bit of a buzz around him. But Wayne, there was buzz about him before he'd even played a minute of first-team football. There was talk about him when he was 14. 13 years old at the football club. I mean, do you remember what that was like at the time when he when he burst onto the scene against Arsenal and scored that goal? And did you feel a sense of responsibility to keep this lad fit and fresh? I'm claiming no credit for Wayne's career, but Matt, it was unbelievable because you know I spoke about that kind of nervous rush of going in, that big dump thing. Yeah. The MR, the Everton kit. The Wayne thing was a big part of all wrapped up in that same magic as well. And even now, I've been so lucky being football. I'm 61. I'm still going. I've worked for nearly every club. I was at Forest two years ago. This is a Paul Smith T-shirt they bought me when I left, yeah. it, along with <laughs> some luggage and a watch and that. Strange gift luggage, isn't it? What's, what are they trying to say? But, uh, I've been so lucky, man. So lucky. But when I think back to that, going there just at the emergence of Wayne, it was unbelievable. And yes, you could tell in training. He was so quick. Mm. It, 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 just everything. And, you know, some days I'd take my son in, who was probably eight, would he be then? Eight. Mm. And, and Wazza would get him and play football with him and stuff. And I think, God, Oliver still remembers that. And when Milo went to Man U as well, and yeah. Wayne was there, and they used to talk about that at Man United when Oliver used to come in and play football with him. But if I could pinpoint in my career... Oh, it'd, be, it'd be so difficult, Matt. But you know, like the top most magical things that you experience, yeah. absolutely, it was probably that goal. And surrounding that goal in the games before, every time the ball went to Wayne, everybody stood up. And mm. I can kind of, if I close my eyes, I can remember that. 
it went silent the stadium every single person stood up and i was there to experience that mm. so i've been so lucky mate what, what was it about him that when he first started training with the first team and stuff that he, was it was his ability that, that swagger he had yeah but it it, it it was and wasn't that because he's such a nice guy he's such a I don't know if people get that about him. He's a really nice bloke, you know what I mean? Yeah, when he loses his temper, he can be angry and, yeah. you know, hot-headed like everybody can. But he's a really nice bloke, you know. I don't know if people get that about him. I think his friends do. Hmm. I think, you know, obviously his family do, his friends do. People close to him have got the highest regard for him as a bloke. He's a really good guy. It was his sheer ability and obviously tempering that with the fact he's 16. But the sheer walking onto that training pitch and just being head and shoulders and just some of the stuff he used to do in training and you think, God, this kid's 16. Mm. I, I, I think it was that. But that, it was a magical time at Everton, that. Yeah. Because Moyes had gone in, they survived that kind of two or three years of this year, this year, any time. They can't keep pulling it out of the fire at 10 to 5 on the last day. They're going to go, they're going to go. And then all of a sudden, Dave came in, and that first year we finished seventh, didn't we? Yeah. Wayne had emerged, and then all of a sudden, people started to look forward again. The year after that was worked great, but then it was a season to finish fourth. So that was kind of a, a watershed, I think, for, for Everton that first year. And as much as David um, was a, um, a catalyst for that, it was Wayne as well. It was like a, a double pronged assault, like, you know. Yeah. Me as well, triple pronged. Of course, me. Yeah, all the players, dead fit. You know? <laughs> but, but it was, it, yeah. it was a, the perfect fit, the two of them. You know, a brilliant, strong manager and a brilliant player coming through at the same time. And I remember every time we used to go to a home game, somebody sprayed on the wall outside, Goodison, uh, Moyes and Rooney, the future. Yeah. You know, so it always stuck in my mind anyway. It's, you know? it's interesting you say that because I think it's often sort of, when people talk about them two together, it's, it's sort of spoken about that they didn't have the best relationship in that regard. You know, I think there, there are a few times they were maybe at loggerheads with, with certain things. There's obviously a bit of talk about Wayne's agents and his contract and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, did they rustle up against each other sometimes? No, sorry to say. Don't know the truth, yeah. but they have a good story. Yeah, they, they had a professional relationship. I don't yeah. think they probably, you know, the, the manager don't go to Starbucks with the players. The yeah, thought the world of Dave. I thought the world of him. He was such a good manager. He was, he, he was, you know, good managers are difficult managers, and they extract the best out of every player. And in the doing so of that, people, you know, curse and cuss and that. But that's just off in the heat of the moment stuff. Like you know, I never Wayne and Dave got on great, and you know, I mean, I'm not privy to everything that went on, but yeah, sure. they got on great. I, I, I never saw them have a. Um, any issues at all you know Dave got them well the players I say really like Dave they liked him uh, and when I and the word like encompasses that professional like where you know this guy's a brilliant manager and this guy's going to get the best out of me and if you look at some of those players I would say they had their probably best years of their career I know that Cars Lee Cars and Kev Gilban who are good friends of mine actually we've broached that professional divide with friends and that I know they would both certainly say that you know, they had their best years under Dave and that, and they would speak only highly of it, as would TC and players like that. So everybody thought the world of Dave. Now, in any dynamic where, you know, there's mistakes and there's training and there's, 
you know, professional sport, of course, it's going to be hard words spoken. But uh, it, it was a, it was a fabulous with Dave. What was it? I had eight years there. It was a fabulous time, and it was a magical time to be there. And the team spirit on and off the pitch was second to none. It was amazing. Yeah, I think that's the thing people say that while there were disagreements and there were, there were heated exchanges, the more you saw it would be really, it would be weird if there weren't any of them, wouldn't it? Of course, it yeah. Ever so, ever so unhealthy, wouldn't it? Yeah, but he, the people, the players we spoke to said he cultivated an atmosphere where that was okay, where you could sort of have those yeah. exchange of views, and it wouldn't linger beyond you know an hour or so after the game. You could go into training the next day, and things would be fine. Never would be. Everybody would be back in, in sync and back on the job at hand. And I think to do that, it's a it's, it's testament to, to the job he did at Everton. Uh, absolutely. It, it was unbelievable for stuff like that. And, and it, 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 I've been worked for so many managers now, God, but in that 15 minutes at half time, he was the best I ever saw. Unbelievable. Mm. So, what would happen? We got the tunnel at Goodison. I go into the big dress room, make sure everyone's okay. Dave, Taffy, Lummy, obviously Alan Irving and Randy, they go into the adjacent coaches' room. Taffy come down from the stand and give a quick resume from above, a slightly better view, and have a quick meeting. I just tend to the players, me, Matt and Danny and Jimmy and that, like, you know, give them a drink quickly, like, you know, that was kind of a bit before sports science came in. And then Dave would come in and then he would, if things weren't going well, he would immediately going to the players if you weren't happy with the level of performance and that like, you know, tending to pick the big hitters. He'd never go into the young players. Okay. And he'd be quick, he'd be hard on them and he'd tell them that. So if it was necessary and things weren't going well, he told them, he told the big hitters straight to their faces, no issues and that like, you know. Players never came back with anything because he was always right and that. But then, I see a lot of managers now, they just shout at the players and that. So David going, there'd be that kind of bloodletting if you want. He'd go into the players you weren't happy with and then he'd tell them, right, this is what we can do to change the game. So he, he had that kind of juxtaposition in the bloodletting, the telling players exactly where they stood. Yeah. Now this is what we're going to do. Then really good objective information will be the second third of the meeting. Then the last five minutes, all of us get around the players, hey, come on, we can turn this round, we can turn this round. And many times in my first couple of years, I seem to remember Rad scoring the 94th minute. Southampton, yeah. yeah. So that half-time had like three components that kind of, you know, into the players. Frank, honest, eyeball-to-eyeball evaluation of their performances. Then that kind of objective, critical information to turn around this result. And then finally that, come on, lads, we're all in together, blah, blah, blah. So I say I work with some top managers, but with Dave in them 15 minutes... He was the best I've ever worked with. Wonderful. Great memories. Uh, Mick, it's been fantastic having you on. Really enjoyed it, mate. We've got great. I usually say to people we do 20 minutes on these, but we think we've gone up to 40 there. Just sat listening to you chatting away. It would be wonderful to get well, you I'm going to under the hammer. No, I'm not. <laughs> it would be wonderful to get you hey. back on uh, to talk about Smell of Football 2 at some, some point when that goes to, to publish. Um, yeah, I'll be too famous then. I'll be too rich and famous. Probably living somewhere else. I won't be able to come on, so I'm sorry. Fair enough, mate. No, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. No, no problem. It's been wonderful to have you on. And uh, fingers crossed you'll be back at Finch Farm soon. And we'll see the team doing yeah. well. The 23s doing yeah. well. I, I, I've really missed it. It's a special place. And I, I was so lucky, Matt. You know, I worked there for eight years. Then I left. And then I worked for loads of different clubs. I worked for international teams. And you never think, who gets to go back to Finch Farm? And I got to go back to Finch Farm and put that shirt on again. So... There's me, doubly lucky. 
bloody stuff. Uh, thanks very much to Mick for coming on. Uh, if anyone's not checked out the other videies we've done this week, do look, look at our YouTube. Subscribe, the button to do so is down there. And I uh, will speak to you soon here on The Blue Room. In a tiny apartment in Southern California, two college dropouts teamed up to start a watch brand that broke all the rules. With clean, innovative designs, unexpected colors, and unbeatable value, Movement became the fastest-growing watch brand in the world. Every bold, modern design is dreamed up at Movement's California headquarters. And now, everything is on sale for their ninth birthday celebration. You can save big with 25% discounts on watches, jewelry, sunnies, blue light eyewear, and more lifestyle essentials. And for the first time this year, Movement's best-selling, innovatively made ceramic watches are on sale too. Elevate your own look or give someone an amazing gift that won't break the bank. But looks like it did. There's never been a better time to join the movement. Get the best prices of the year with Movement's site-wide 25% off anniversary sale and enjoy free shipping, free returns, and a two-year guarantee on everything they make. Just go to MVMT.com. That's MVMT.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.